0: Hello and welcome to this week's episode of The Dude Therapist. We have Dr. Leah Katz, who is a clinical psychologist practicing in Portland, Oregon. Originally from New York, she completed her doctoral training at Furcoff Graduate School of Psychology. While living in New York, Dr. Katz worked at a community clinic where she led several groups, treated individuals and couples in therapy, and taught at Stern College for Women. She currently works in a group practice where she specializes in working with teenagers and women, with a focus on treating anxiety and depression, amongst other things. She utilizes a hybrid of cognitive behavioral therapy, ACT, and mindfulness techniques in her therapy work. She incorporates mindfulness concepts into the therapeutic work she does. She also facilitates mindfulness groups for the broader community and gives talks related to mental health and wellness. Dr. Katz is passionate about girls' and women's mental health, in helping women navigate challenges to live deeply connected and fulfilled lives. She frequently writes for Psychology Today, and has her first book coming out in May 2022. I'm so excited to have this, this guest on. Let's get right into it. Welcome to this week's episode of The Dude Therapist. You know, I always say this so often, when I have a professional on, a therapist... A psychologist, a psychiatrist or anyone in the mental health world, whatever the letters are after your name, I start to salivate because I love talking to colleagues and professionals about mental health. And Dr. Leah Katz is an unbelievable professional posting unbelievable content on social media and really helping clarify, understand and work through so many things. So before I get into it too much, can you please introduce yourself to the listeners?
1: Sure. thank you so much for having me on and thank you for that very nice introduction. It's so nice to be here. And like you, I love these conversations, you know with other mental health professionals and just talking about mental health in general is so important to help um, redefine stigmas and help people understand their own mental health and feel like they have solidarity and they have other people who are struggling along with them. So it's such an important topic and I'm so glad that I'm here talking with you. So um, I am a psychologist. I practice in Portland, Oregon. I work in a group practice. My area of specialty right now is working with teens and adults who have anxiety and depression. Um, And I use a lot of mindfulness-based work and a lot of cognitive behavioral work. So that's tool-based work to work with anxiety. Um, I'm from New York originally. I worked in New York for several years before we moved here about seven years ago. And um, yeah, and I just, I feel very grateful to be doing what I'm doing.
0: You got out, you got out of New York, you broke out of the, the, you have to live in New York to be successful thought process. Um, I love that. And, you know, as we chatted before, uh, before we were recording about the beauty of, of, of uh, Portland, do you think that that adds to your centeredness or mindfulness of being in nature? Um, Do you think that people who don't maybe live in those kind of suburban or nature-esque areas, are more frazzled or um, overwhelmed?
1: You know, that's such a good question and a good thing for me to reflect on. I mean, it certainly makes beautiful nature much more accessible for me where I live now. It's just, it's all around versus where we were in New York, which was an inner city. And mm-hmm. it was harder to find. Um, so for me, I really enjoy the benefits of being close to just like pretty green things. Because <laughs> um, in, in, I'm, I'm, you know, if you've seen on my social media, like, I'm a big, believer in spending time in nature and what it can do for us. But that said, like I'm thinking back to an interesting study that I read a while back. So I don't remember all the details, but um, it was talking about the effects of nature of nature on our mental health and wellness. And it was saying that even like sitting, you know, in New York and Queens or in the cities, they have these like little parks with like little grassy area, like tiny little grassy areas and a little bench, even sitting in a little space like that, where there is greenery around us, can significantly impact our mental health. So it's nice to be in a place where it's accessible. And it's, a, but I think it's accessible wherever we are. So that's the good thing.
0: <laughs> you don't have to drive, you know, in New York, the thought process, you have to drive like two hours just to get to some nature. You know, I remember during the pandemic, my wife and I escaped to New York and went to LA where my wife is from. And I've never thought or realized how much I needed outdoors. Yeah, I feel like I was ruined as a New Yorker where I was like, oh, I'm fine. It's okay. But then you're there for four months. I was literally doing teletherapy with my AirPods because people didn't want to do videos all the time mm-hmm. in the sun tanning mm-hmm. while I was. It was just heaven. And I'm like, yeah. no yeah. wonder people move places like this. Yeah. Um, right. It's not yeah. just New York.
1: No, no I, I, I really, really hear that. And I've had the opportunity, too, to do some sessions outside. Um, over the pandemic. And it, it's, they've been really nice. You know, they, they've had a different energy about them.
0: It's like you're calmer, relaxed. It's like, mm-hmm. yeah, I can sit here for 45 minutes to an hour and help you. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Whatever you need.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah.
0: How did you get into yeah. being a psychologist? What was your journey into that world?
1: You know, it's something that I had always thought about, but I wasn't sold on until college. Uh, like I had a thought about different options for myself. But I think really what what made me turn the corner and decide to pursue this career in psychology is um, it's probably a combination of experiences I had myself with people around me and within myself with mental health and just recognizing how rewarding this sort of work might be for myself. And then also connecting with mentors and professors along the way who really inspired me. So when I was in college, I was very close with a professor um, who I, I did some volunteer work with at, at their lab, and I took several of his classes, and I just I thought the work that he was doing was amazing. So I think that that's a part of it. You know, like when we meet someone who we really look up to, it makes it easier to see ourselves following in that path.
0: Yeah, I definitely had one. I was in Turo College, and I had Dr. Alan Perry.
1: Mm-hmm. I talk
0: about him all the time to some of my old friends or colleagues or future people that I work with or will work with.
1: Yeah. He is
0: like the source of my passion. Wow. It was always there. I've always yeah. wanted to work with people. I love people. I love talking to people, helping people with their journey, the ups and downs um, and being empathetic and caring and sharing love with someone. Mm-hmm. But he just like had this different mentality about it. That was like, I need to do this for the rest of my life. Wow! And then in grad school, I was in Fordham university and just had amazing professors that kind of uh-huh. Just opened me up. I'm like, okay, okay, I'm good.
1: Wow. And it doesn't
0: mean it's not hard, but the passion was there. The fire was then created. Yeah. And um, it's always yeah. nice to find that in your life. Yeah. It how has that. it been now? You know, and we'll get into the harder questions soon. I just love to get a sense of a person, what makes them into the why someone chooses to be into mental health, mm-hmm. um, because it's hard. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you handle? You know, of course, the the uh, the motivation of the success is easy. Right. Mm-hmm. When someone tells you or you understand where you have the aha or breaking moment mm-hmm. in a real in a relationship, a mental health relationship as a therapist to a client, and you get that point where they kind of grow, learn, look back and go, mm-hmm. Thank you. Mm-hmm. But what about the how do you get through the hard times? That that client who irks you or that the the rough sessions with real traumatic experiences. How do you yeah. deal with that and and keep going in those yeah. in those scenarios?
1: Yeah, that's such a good question too. And it's such a nice thing to be able to talk like from one mental health professional to another, like because it's something that comes up in all of our work, you know, it's all the different issues that we work with land on us differently. And I think that that's, you know, to some extent our wiring and our own histories, what will be difficult, what will feel easier. But I feel like to answer your question, the two things that like popped into my mind as you were talking are, I really feel like my mindfulness practice helps ground me a lot, you know, so if I have a session that I'm feeling worried about, or I've had a session that was particularly hard, just being able to pause, and even for a moment, if I'm busy, and I have to go move on, but just pause and be with myself and notice what's happening inside of me, and not take it so seriously, right? So like, that's the beauty of mindfulness. That, so like, we take, it's like this, like duality, we take it seriously, and we don't take it seriously at the same time, like, yeah, this is really serious. And also, it's an experience that's happening for me, for me right now that will pass, it's not me. Um, so the mindfulness work really helps me. And I also think the self care, you know, this is something that you probably I see you like smiling. <laughs> but like that, yes, like, it's something that we all really need to be intentional about because it can get heavy. Even when it's rewarding, right? Yeah. So even when the work is so powerful and so rewarding, sometimes it can feel like a lot, especially like with what we've all just been through, you know, and yeah. as we personally are going through it too, with the pandemic and how yeah. that's affected our lives personally, we really, I really feel like the self-care component is something that I'm intentional about. Um, and that really, really does help me. So if I have a hard session, you know, and I have time, I might go for a little walk or just spend some time outside because it's that nature piece, like the fresh air really helps me. Um Yeah. So I think it's the mindfulness. I think it's, it's self-care. And I also think like the last thing that's just popping in for me is like, I really do find a lot of gratitude in what I do. So I feel, and that's why I feel so fortunate that I'm doing what I'm doing. And I chose this career young. So I feel extra fortunate because like it didn't have to work out this way (laughs) because I was so young when I went to graduate school, but I feel, I feel so fortunate to be so involved in work that feels so meaningful to me. And there's a lot of gratitude in that. So it's sort of like creating this balance.
0: Yeah. I love everything you said. You know, recently um, I had a client that I, um, I had a struggling issue with and I took it very personally Mm -hmm. and it kind of bled into my therapy
1: Mm -hmm. and I
0: apologized. Mm
1: -hmm. I said, you
0: know, I need to take a step back and tell you something you said really triggered me. And I was a little inappropriate in how I responded. Wow. She's like, Oh, I didn't even notice. Wow. But I was so self-aware because yeah. it's hard when something triggers something in yourself.
1: hundred percent. And as a
0: private yeah. clinician, you don't have the overarching supervisor to go to to process things sometimes. Yeah. It doesn't mean you shouldn't get help or get supervision or get therapy as a therapist. Yeah. I think it's very important. Yes. But, you know, and recently my wife, she looked at me and she said, now that you have a private practice and things are going better than they used to be, you need to go back to CrossFit. Mm, she yelled at me not really in a sassy way she didn't yell at me she's like dude go back to crossfit Uh Uh because there was a point where it gets bottled up and the way i release it is by sweating it out yep and there are certain things and certain workouts that i know help me clear my head amazing and i have found and i know this is a classic thing that crossfitters always say i do crossfit all the time Uh it is something that has helped me yeah. And each therapist out there, each mental health professional needs to find what that is. Yeah. If it's reading a book, I talk about a lot that I love tea.
1: Yeah. I have
0: a nice cup of tea sometimes uh-huh. it's that I pick the flavor that is the flavor. And I have two or three that are the helpers that I know uh-huh. are going to calm me down. Uh-huh. That small little thing. It doesn't have to be expensive. You don't have to go to no. a vacation two no. weeks in Italy or Greece to have that self-care. It could yeah. be as small, like you said, as going outside and taking that time. And I wanted to then jump into something you've mentioned a couple of times, which is mindfulness. Yeah. Can you, and I know this is talked about so much and it mm-hmm. is so pushed,
1: mm-hmm. and
0: the narrative has been created sometimes that isn't the reality of what something actually is. Mm-hmm. Um, can you define and help the listeners understand what mindfulness actually is versus maybe what the media or the thought process of like the monk sitting
1: yeah. in, the, in the
0: castle, you know? Yeah hum kind of thought process.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it's such a good thing to talk about because I think that it's become a term that is this umbrella word and it can mean a lot of different things and a lot of like all very good things. But when we use the word mindfulness, I think there is this question of like, well, what are we talking about here? Are mm-hmm. we talking about a guided, empowering meditation, which is not how I define mindfulness but that's another like you know so that's one way of, that people are using it which i see which i think is beautiful but it's interesting because like that's just that's not how i use it i use it yeah. in a different kind of way so it is good to get clear on like well what do we mean by that mm-hmm. um so when i talk about mindfulness and how i practice mindfulness it really comes from the work of john who who is the researcher scientist who brought it over to america and um, made it scientific and i you know did a lot of studies and his work is amazing Um, and so he defines it as learning to be present in the moment in a non-judging and kind way, basically is a, is a summary. So it's learning to pay attention to what's unfolding for me in this one moment, noticing any judgment that comes up in my mind, because that's natural. Our minds just do that. Our minds, we have thoughts, so many thoughts every single moment. So noticing the judgments that come up and learning to just watch them and let them go and learning to embrace ourselves in this very loving way with whatever is happening, you know, whether it's something I'm struggling with internally or something going on around me, that's hard, you know, and how can I kind of like ground myself and find a presence within that? Um, and so that's how I use it. And so then with the mindfulness work that I've done and that I do, it can be, be either formal mindfulness meditation practices, which is, not the monks. I mean, it can be, but that's not what I do. (laughs) I don't like sit with my fingers like that. But, um, you know, there can be formal practices where you sit for 40 minutes or whatever you do, and you do some sort of um, either solo or guided mindfulness practice, like a body scan, or just paying attention to one sensation. So that's one way of doing it, which is lovely. And it takes time. So sometimes it's harder to do that. And one way that I and this is what I was alluding to before about how I manage the harder moments of being a therapist, it's informal mindfulness practices where I can just pause. And it's such a gift. It's like such a beautiful thing to know that we all can do. Just pause. Like I love the word pause, just pause for however many seconds or moments I have and just notice what's happening for me. How is my body feeling right now? How's my breathing? What sorts of thoughts am I having? You know? So, and then, and then I just kind of continue about my day if I have to. So it's just like sinking into the moment that we have.
0: And I love that. And I want to just add a layer to why I do the tea thing, by the way, Mm. it's my moment where I pause Mm, because I pick the tea, Mm -hmm. I steep the tea, and I have a process and a ritual where it's all my senses totally locked in to that moment of taking that sip of the warmth and the flavor and the smell. It's all those five sense mindfulness things that are talked about so often Mm -hmm. where it really is this moment of stepping back and pausing. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't know about you and how you utilize technology and social media. But with this thing in my hand that is constantly beeping or going off and notifications and emails of something that you signed up for by accident 20 years ago that is still on some stupid email that gets forwarded to you from Hotmail um, or Yahoo or whatever old school thing you're using or AOL, it is so hard for us to pause and, and to be okay with it to be okay with pausing because pausing I love that you said it's such a powerful word to not do something now it doesn't mean you're not thinking it doesn't mean you're not feeling
1: right it means you're
0: not being active it means you're not go 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 right and I feel that society nowadays feels and promotes and I know you talk about this and I was going to talk about this a little bit this idea of hustling yeah right needing the feel to go I have to hustle I have and I and I say this often I make that mistake often. Oh, no. You know, how do you do it all? I'm just hustling. You know, I'm working at this. I'm answering emails late at night and all that stuff or whatever it is. Yeah. And sometimes that's not healthy to be the society that's promoting this idea of hustle hard, be successful, side hustle while yeah. you're working and a family person and this and that. And
1: yeah. yeah, taking
0: that pause in that moment to be right is so powerful Yeah. More than you understand. So can you talk about the power that that pause has on us from maybe an internal either mindset, our brain, our body? Can you talk about that a little bit?
1: Sure. Yeah. So I mean, and you might have seen this too, but something that I really feel is that it all starts from self-awareness, like all the work that we can do, or we like just we step that we open the door the moment we have self-awareness, because without self-awareness, Like what you were saying, hustle culture or just being busy or overwhelmed or, you know, having kids and a job and and doing side things like that can really just take us out of the moments because we're just so busy. So we lose track of what's really unfolding within us and we sort of just take it for granted, right? Like, oh, my, my body's hurting, but I'm too busy. I'm not paying attention to it, you know, or I'm like so stressed, but I'm, you know, like I'm not paying attention to that because I'm just busy, busy, busy. I have to do all these things. So the pause, I think really opens the door to that self-awareness. It's where we create for ourselves like an intentional moment to check in with ourselves and then we get the self-awareness. So how's my body feeling? Oh, maybe I'm like really feeling some tension in my shoulders. I can do something about that, you know, or, oh, I didn't realize like my, I'm having all these thoughts. That's why I feel so anxious. Like I can do something about that. So once I have, I do the pause and I have the self-awareness, well, now I've stepped through that door. And I can do something with it to help myself in a really kind and compassionate way. Again, not to make it go away. It's not like we're ever trying to like avoid our experiences or say like, oh, now I know what's happening for me. This is bad. I need to make it not happen for me. But it's it's a really compassionate non-judging like, oh, it's 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 just so nurturing. Oh, this is what's happening for me right now. Now I know. Let me take some breaths. Let me do something really kind for myself that only takes like sometimes like a half a second. You know, it yeah. doesn't have like what you were saying before. It doesn't have to be anything big or elaborate. Um, yeah,
0: I love that. And then going into then the next idea, you know, you talk about, and I think you recently posted it. I know we're recording now in July and who knows when this episode is going to come out. But um, recently you posted about breathing into being overwhelmed and this idea of, of how we kind of live within the overwhelmed feelings, because like you said, we can't sometimes stop it or, or fix it. I hate it. Right. I I, I don't like to use the word hate, but I I hate when clients come to me and say, fix my problems, fix me, Ellie, fix me, fix me. And I make a joke. Like, I know I sometimes look like Harry Potter with my glasses and and my hairstyle and who knows, and because I'm a white white guy, um, that I don't have a wand that can just fix a problem. It's not about fixing. It's about learning how to cope and navigate and live, live with it, live in it. So how do you breathe into being overwhelmed? How do you live within that overwhelmed kind of feeling?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So sometimes my posts come from, you know, like work I'm doing with a client. Sometimes they come from things that like I'm experiencing and reflecting in my own life. So that one came from just sort of like a reflection that I was having. I was going through something that was overwhelming for me and it's easy to get carried away by those big feelings, whether it's overwhelm or it's anxiety or it's anger, like the big feelings can very easily hijack our prefrontal cortex and we get carried away and we're just like in the feeling and we just feel like, okay, well, this is just the way I I just have to feel this way until the situation goes away or until I figure something out. And so I had this moment where I realized, you know, in that moment, oh, I can hold this feeling. I can really just notice what does the feeling of feeling overwhelmed feel like for me in my body? What's happening for me here right now? And I, can I just, just settle in, just settle into my body. So I can, so I think that that mindfulness oftentimes leads us to duality work. So being, and I think without that, sometimes we take it for granted. Like, well, if I'm overwhelmed, I'm just going to, I'm just going to feel frazzled. I'm just going to be this way. And I, and you know, when the situation goes away, I'll feel better, but it doesn't have to be that way. We mm-hmm. can, like you were saying, sometimes life is overwhelming and that is just the nature of life. We can learn to hold it, spend some time with it. And that's also like the beautiful thing of mindfulness, like it's not really it's learning to create a friendly relationship to all the feelings like none, none of them are bad and they're all part of life and they're all universal. So can I learn to be with this overwhelm? Notice what it's feeling in my body and just like pause and be with myself, you know, like settle in. And sometimes that means. Let me notice how overwhelm is landing on my body. Sometimes that means let me notice other parts of my body. Like what else is here for me right now? Because it's not just this, even though it feels like it's just that Mm -hmm. because it's so strong. But let me feel my toes, right? Or let me feel my back in my chair. Um, We create perspective in that way too. Yeah, like there's this one big thing going on for me. So that one's the most noticeable. But there's so much else going on for me right now too. Not in a minimizing way, right? It's like in a beautifully like embracing way.
0: Thank you for, for being so vulnerable and opening up about that post being something personal.
1: Mm-hmm. Because
0: I think sometimes people think that whether you're very active, you have a certain amount of followers or don't, and therapists are posting these taglines or these things that it is removed from their personal life or feelings. Mm-hmm. And there and there's different perspectives about posting family pictures and personal things. And I, I mix and match on my account because I like to you know show parenting things with a picture of my child or stuff like that. And also she's cute and yummy. So why not? but I think it's really important to be honest and real about ourselves as therapists. We're not gods. We're not perfect. We don't have our stuff together all the time because we're human and it's okay to admit that it's okay to be okay with that. And I think that's what the modern therapy world, mental health world is coming to admit Yeah, is that we're not this stoic cold statue in the office with you. We are people.
1: Right. And
0: so I really appreciate you being honest that way and and being open. Um, And I think that you, you really work a lot with anxiety with teens and, and, and young adults and, and adults, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and when it comes to anxiety, something that I, I'm i not trying to take away from anything else that you talk about or do, because um, we can talk about everything because you're an amazing professional. Um, the idea of chronic stress or chronic, chronic anxiety, you know, there's different things, whether it's acute, whether it's general anxiety or chronic anxiety. Um, and I think definitely during the world that we've been in today. Yeah, uh, with the pandemic, and this overwhelming sense of worry and concern. Yeah. Um, what changes maybe something from being acute to being chronic? And then how do you then deal with that? And like you talk about a lot, ask for help when it comes to chronic stress or chronic anxiety versus acute?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and these are huge right now, these, all of the topics, you know, so the topic of stress, and anxiety, you know, like, I think they're, they're very related. And they're also very distinct, you know, and I think that probably most of us have been carrying around loads of chronic stress over this last year and a half, because of the pandemic, and you know, being a mom, and you're a dad, and you know, well, just everything was closed and having kids home and trying to work. And like, there was so much stress there amongst a, a lot of other stressors. So You know, stress is a part and and anxiety too, but I'll get to that in a minute, but stress is a part of everyday life. And it's just the response that we have to a situation that's coming up. That's making us feel a certain way. We're feeling overwhelmed. We're feeling like we don't have the resources to meet it necessarily. Um, And usually what happens with stress is when the situation is removed, the stress abates and we go about our life and that's okay. Like life has stress, Um, but chronic stress is really difficult because that's when the situation doesn't go away in the amount of time that ideally it should go away. And we're just finding ourselves perpetually stressed out. And that's very taxing on our body. We're not cut out for that because when we're stressed, we have like the different things that are going on within our body and the different hormones that are getting released and it's exhausting and chronic stress can lead to burnout, you know, and other things. And, um, so that, so it's, so that's been a tricky one to, to carry this last year and a half. And I really feel like to some extent, you know, some of, some of how we cope with that is an acceptance. And I think sometimes acceptance of like a situation we can't get rid of, like this is here, we don't know when it's going to go or an acceptance of uncertainty or like accepting the hard parts of a situation that we don't have control over can be one of the keys to managing it because now we're like not fighting it. You know, like that's, I don't know if you do act, do you use act therapy and Yeah. So it's like a beautiful approach and it really complements mindfulness. It's different. But that idea of acceptance, you know, like when I stop fighting it, the thing I can't control. Well, now I really reclaim a lot of my power because I can learn to coexist with it. Um, Yeah.
0: I think a lot of the things that I was doing over the course of the pandemic with my clients was this radical acceptance concept from DBT.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Right? Right. This
0: idea of like, this is the this is the reality. Right. You can be crushed by it or accept it and learn how to move forward with it. Right, it doesn't exactly. mean you have to like it. Right,
1: exactly. It doesn't mean you
0: have to enjoy it. No. Like, for example, when someone dies, you mm-hmm. don't have no. to enjoy it
1: no. or right. be like
0: or be OK with it while you're moving forward. It means uh-huh. that you accept the pain, you accept the grief and you live and learn to live with it.
1: Exactly, And radical
0: acceptance is so hard so because hard. the reality of life can be very destructive and and. Uh, crushing it could be crushing yeah. Yeah. Um, and this year has shown us one the strength that we can have the resilience yeah. of human beings and human yeah. nature and how much we really need each other Um. Yeah. right I think we took it for granted for the since the 19 early 1900s uh, before the last time this happened um, yeah. but this idea that we really rely on sociability and connection and community mm-hmm. the tribe right finding that having that tribe and I know that you talk so often about about this chronic stress and this overwhelming continuous. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that happens a lot when children are traumatized or mm-hmm. when there's trauma in the household, mm-hmm. this chronic sense of uncertainty. Yeah. It yeah. can change and restructure your brain functioning, yeah. your your nervous system being this trigger-happy nervous system that yeah. the smallest thing now becomes big. And yeah. the big things might not be as important. They might be forgotten, or di- or you might dissociate or remove yourself from bigger things. So the idea is taking care of yourself, right? Mm-hmm. Because tr- chronic stress can lead to a lot of things. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that you are crazy or insane. And I hate those words as well. Um, I hate the word hate, and I hate those words. So it's <laughs> I'm kind of I'm kind of trapped, you know. But the idea that you don't have to be special or you, ha- you are human. Right. What I'm trying to say, you're human. Right. And something you talk about so often, which I, I really do love, is this idea of accepting or being all of you. Yeah. Can you talk about that a little bit and what that means in the sense of your emotions, your feelings, and your thoughts?
1: Yeah. And so, I mean, that really complements what I was talking about before with feeling overwhelmed. But I think many of us, so, somewhere along the way, so, somehow we learned that some feelings are good and some feelings are bad, you know? And so we're okay with like the good quote unquote, right. Good feelings, the ones that make us feel happy and good. And then there's other feelings that feel like we judge ourselves a lot for having. So whether it's anger or jealousy or anxiety, but the harder feelings to feel, we somehow like come to adulthood or our later teen, just feeling like they're not okay. And so then what happens, like when we experience that feeling our brain, because of the training or the learning or wherever that came from, maybe it's cultural, maybe it's family, you know, maybe it's some, some genetics, you know, a combination of all that. The brain comes online and tells ourselves it's like, I mean, like automatically, if we haven't done really the work to notice our thoughts, it happens automatically, tells a story about the feeling we're having, right? So now we're judging our, now, so we're feeling really anxious. Or we're feeling really jealous or, and now our mind pops online and says, why are you feeling this way? You shouldn't be feeling this way. Gosh, you're such a bad person. You know, like what, what, what's wrong with you? I I shouldn't feel this way. And so that just makes like the feeling exponentially harder to feel and more complicated. So the acceptance of accepting all of us is just, they're all okay. Like all the feelings are okay. And so it's like the unlearning of past stuff that made us feel like it's not okay to feel anger. It's not okay to feel jealous or anxiety. No, that's not true. It's actually a part of being human. And when we learn to like, open, I always like imagine ourselves just like opening up our arms and like, with like a warm embrace to whatever the hard feeling is, come on in. It's okay that you're here for me now. It makes sense that you're here for me now, actually, you know, and I'm going to learn to like, again, it's like that, like, well, what does this feel like for me? How does it land on my body? Just pausing for a little bit being with it. And then sometimes like we could, we could problem solve, like, well, what am I going to do about this? How can mm-hmm. I like take my next steps?
0: You know, uh, a couple of years ago in, in New York in Queens, there was i I'm not sure if it's still there. There was a Lego or type Lego esque type of um, art piece in the Queens museum mm-hmm. in the children's museum. My wife and I went and there was a picture and I think I recently deleted it on my camera because I didn't want I didn't need to share it or I was going to get rid of it where there's this yellow statue of a, of a person opening up their chest. Mm hmm. Like, and you see inside and it's a black, it's just, it's, it's empty, Mm -hmm, but -hmm. it's this idea of opening up who you are Mm -hmm. and being totally accepting of that. Like you said, giving it a hug or open Mm -hmm. arms of like, this is who I am. Mm -hmm. That's what I saw when I, when I, when I saw this picture, maybe it's because I'm a therapist and I work in this world where that's my perception of things. Um, But it was such a deep idea of behind humans and it was Lego. It was a yellow Lego. I was like, good for them.
1: Uh-huh. Because
0: like, this is who I am. I am a person and I'm uh-huh. made up of things and I have emotions. I have feelings and thoughts. And you're right. I think this is something that's said a lot, but it's so important to reiterate the idea that your your thoughts are not you. Right. And your feelings are not you. Right. Um, no. Even the good ones, whatever that word means, good and bad. Right. But you can be separate from a negative thought that comes right. into your head without your control. Totally. Right. You can be separate from a thought that you actively have.
1: Totally. It doesn't make you that thought. And
0: um, it's so important for us to realize because I think a lot of times when we get into that kind of cycle, that rumination, that overthinking, Mm -hmm. especially with the negative thinking, it can totally consume us Mm -hmm. to the point where we then take it on. It becomes Mm -hmm. stress, leads to anxiety, (laughs) depression, all those things That can really be detrimental to our mental health and then maybe impact our physical health, our relationships, our life, our jobs and everything. Yeah, exactly. No pressure, no pressure. But yeah,
1: um, Yeah. actually, so just on. Sorry, I know you're about interrupt all you want. There's an analogy that I just love for that describes what you were just saying. And it's. you know if we imagine ourselves to be like the big sky like the blue sky like that's who we are like that's our like conscious you know like that or subconscious. That, that's who we are and the clouds that pass over that vast vast sky are any of our experiences so our thoughts or feelings you know how our body's feeling like all the parts of us that like you know come online that tell stories or but but we're that sky and so reminding ourselves that we're big enough Way bigger than any one cloud, right? Way bigger. So we are so much bigger than any one of our experiences, and we are not our experiences. and i just I just think it's a powerful image, yeah, I
0: love I, I think if you're if you're a good therapist, you have plenty of metaphors and imagery to go around, you know <laughs> yeah. um, you know, last night, um sometimes when I can't sleep very well or i'm I'm too amped up, I like mm-hmm. to listen to podcasts, and I've been mm-hmm. talking about this, and I post about this today on social media. I was listening to a combination of Brene Brown and Edith Egger, Dr. Uh, Egger. Uh-huh.
1: Yeah, I have her book on my shelf right here. Uh-huh.
0: But which one? Both?
1: Which one do I have? Um, I can't. The picture's covering up. What, the gift? The
0: gift or the choice. Okay. Yeah. They're both great. They're both great. Yeah. Um, one is her memoir, and one is, like, the lessons from oh, the her experience.
1: That I read. They're, yeah. they're
0: both great. And uh, she was talking and she's like this cute old, you know, Hungarian Jewish woman uh, with her beautiful accent and very funny, funny, funny perspective on life, deep, deep perspective on life. And she said something that I think is important for people to hear, which is connected to this is that idea of the cloud moving by. She mm-hmm. goes, pain is, it's not forever. Right. Pain passes. Life yeah. and moments pass and for someone who went through the holocaust and for someone who has been forever stamped as a survivor of the holocaust to be able to say and it's very wow. logotherapy she's very yeah. much a pan, fan of victor frankl was a colleague of his for years oh, wow. actually gave a eulogy at his at his at his uh, funeral wow. they were friends wow. uh, for years which is just amazing you know to think of someone like that big victor frankl that we have a colleague or person who's connected to that world <laughs> Um, said like pain passes and we're so consumed by imprisoning ourselves by a moment,
1: yeah. by an
0: experience, by yeah. a painful time yeah. that we then never are able to live out of that prison. And it's, I sat there listening last night. I couldn't sleep any longer because I was thinking about it, but it was just such a, a enlightening moment that it's true. We get so imprisoned by a moment of our lives and it doesn't mean that, that, that pain wasn't real. Right. It doesn't mean exactly. that it devalues no. the realness exactly. of that experience. It just means that it's fleeting. Exactly. You're now, you're now, it's like that funny thing in Spaceballs. I don't know if you ever watched that movie where they have that whole back and forth of, of looking at the camera and they're like, okay, here is now. And now is then, and here's the past and Mel Brooks, you know, kind of ridiculousness, but now has passed. It's now the future.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Right
0: well, now has the, is over. The moment we just had is now the past.
1: Mm-hmm. And,
0: and now we have to move forward. So it's it's a very much mindfulness thing. Um, in the last couple of minutes, I want to talk about one last thing, which is the power of asking for help. You know, mm-hmm. I, I've touched upon this a few times and I've spoken about this and been honest about it, that when my daughter was first born, I had my first panic attack. Scariest mm-hmm. moment of my life.
1: Mm-hmm. Thought I was
0: dying. I was on the floor, pulling my hair out, pacing in the living room, not knowing what was happening. Mm-hmm. And I looked at my wife and said, something's wrong. I need help. Mm-hmm. Why are people and I, I had a lot of shame in that as a therapist to, to admit that I had anxiety and needed yeah. to ask for help? Why are people so afraid to ask for help? And what can people to do to change that to then get help and ask for help?
1: Yeah, I mean, why are people so afraid? <laughs> It's a hard, that's a hard one, right? I think, cause it's so complicated and so diverse, but I think our culture hasn't helped and how we've framed, you know, now I think we're coming around. Like, that's the cool thing about being a therapist on social media, because there's so many of us who are so passionate about dispelling stigma and misnomers that have existed for a long time. But unfortunately, well, I guess we know, we probably think about our graduate school days, you know, like when you learn about like the early years of psychotherapy and therapy and mental illness and diagnosis, and like, there's so much that came from that, you know, and then verbiage that comes out of that, that people use just every day, you know, like using mental health diagnoses to like describe someone with, you know, in a negative way, like that's, so there's so much, there's so much there, I think culturally, and then family, family, family culture, I think, depending on how, where we come from, like it gets so complicated. And so, which is, you know, a, a hard thing to see, because, we are so much more alike than different from all from all of each other, Love you know. That. And we we really really are. And we have to un, unpeel the orange, right? Like unpeel the layers that make us feel separate and make us feel like I'm the only one who's dealing with this thing by talking about it. The more that we share, and I think it's so brave of you to share your experiences with panic and anxiety. Um, th- and people, you know, you're a therapist. People look up to you, and people are like, oh, like what you were saying earlier today, like. Oh, okay. Like my therapist has anxiety. So it's okay. Like for me to have it, for me to talk about it, you know, the more that we all share about our mental health journeys and the things that we struggle with and the things that we've felt to be helpful, I think it'll help us move towards destigmatizing mental health. I mean, cause it's just, you know, I was talking about this with someone yesterday in their session and uh, they were talking about their experience with anxiety and we were talking about like statistics like, okay, well this percentage of people in America have anxiety. It's like really high, right? Like I it's like thirty percent or so I don't know. Like I don't know the exact number, so I don't want to say the exact number, but it's really Really high. And then you say, okay, well, 20% of Americans are expected to have some sort of depression over the course of their life. And this percentage of people has OCD. And this, like, if you add all that up, <laughs> it's like a lot of people, you know? So, like, we're all just connected. And we I all think the struggle. number
0: now is like one in five of, of people have some mental health diagnosis or haven't been diagnosed and are struggling in their mental health. Yeah. Um, and I don't think you need to have a diagnosis to get help. No. Like,
1: right. No. And, yes. and I say
0: this very no. sassy thing when I first start working with someone. Yeah. I say to them, I said, you know, I, I, whether I am t- taking insurance or not, it, it changes, you know, if I have to have a diagnosis on their paperwork for insurance purposes or not. Mm-hmm. But I say, like, I don't I don't care about the title. No. Like, right. I don't I don't care. And I don't mean that in a nasty way, like it doesn't matter to me. Fine. Yeah. It might give me a backdrop of the treatment that we do. Right. But that doesn't then impact how I view you. So if you have bipolar or you come in with schizophrenia or borderline personality disorder, I'm giving the scary ones that everyone worries about mm-hmm. or anxiety or depression or marital issues. Okay. Mm-hmm. Thank you for coming. Right. Now let's get to work. What are you here for? What do you exactly. really want out of therapy?
1: Exactly. Because
0: it's not about that title. And I think we're so focused on titles. And what am, what is my diagnosis? Like, uh, yeah. what, give me, because, you know, that is the medical world. And the, and the right. but it's so important that people get the help they need. And if all it is, is searching through psychology today or whatever website or Googling or looking on social media and finding that person that you think can be connected and just reaching out and who knows what they can find and help you with.
1: Exactly. Just ask. Exactly. Just and ask. That, and it's so true that like, you know, and we talk about, I talk about that a lot in therapy too, you know, like the, the limitations of a diagnosis, the benefits and the limitations of it, and to not be too limited by it. And what you said before, like to, to emphasize that because it's so important, you know, like that therapy isn't just for someone. It's not like, oh, okay, well I need to have a diagnosis so I can get help. It's not like that. You know, and nope. there's something like we were just talking about, burnout and uh, you know there are so many things that didn't make it to the dsm life that are, changes right like life changes merit like marital you know that's like something i think you know you don't i'm uh, getting reimbursed like people don't always get reimbursed for marital issues why not like that's a that's a you know that's a big stress being
0: like, human you
1: should get helpful yeah so yeah
0: so where can people find you where can they gain more knowledge from you reach out to you if they work with you if they're in the area uh, how can they get in touch with you
1: um, so I am active on social media on Instagram and my handles at Dr. Leia Katz, Doctor with a period after it, Leia Katz. Um I'm also on Twitter and I have a website, drleia Katz.com. So Amazing. um yeah, that's where I am. I have a book coming out, which Ooh. is exciting, but that's not happening till May 2022. So I'll probably be talking more about that as that date approaches.
0: Yeah. Amazing. Good luck with that. That's a goal of my next five years. Good for you. That is like having a baby. Yeah, uh, I heard it's worse. Um, I, and I've had neither. I haven't had a book or a baby. Um, uh-huh. I didn't give birth. Um, but thank you so much for coming on, and taking the time. Uh, I really, really appreciate it.
1: Of course. Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you so much to listening to this week's episode of the Dude Therapist. And it only is happening because of you, the listeners, tuning in every week, even twice a week. To this show, all about mental health, relationships, and wellness topics. And really, let's be honest, everything in between. And I'm so excited to show up every time and having great guests. So, thank you. And if you have any questions, concerns, ideas, collaborations, email me at thedudetherapist at gmail.com. Follow me on Instagram at thedudetherapist. Let me know what you're thinking. Let me know your ideas. I can't wait to hear from you. And if you can go along, subscribe, rate, review on all the streaming sites that you're listening on. I truly appreciate it because that's what make this thing happen. So thanks for tuning in this week and see you next time on the Dude Therapist podcast. We've got more guests and more great content
1: coming your way.